The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. So this morning before we hear from Pastor John, uh, Jen is going to come and she's going to read portions of our Amos passage today. And so we're going to be looking, we're going to be focused in on Amos chapter 1 verses uh, 3 through chapter 2 verses 3. And so Jen is going to come and read those passages to us before we hear from Pastor John. Good morning. Verse 3 of Amos chapter 1. Thus says the Lord, For the transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead while threshing sledges of iron. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for the transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he persuaded his brothers with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. Verse 13, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, and they might enlarge their border. In chapter 2, verse 1, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned the lime and the bones of the king of Edom. Good morning, saints. Well, as you just heard, we are in Amos chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to cover ground all the way up into Amos chapter 2, verse 3. Our sermon title this morning is going to be called The Whirlpool of Judgment, and the main idea that Amos is going to give to us this morning is this, Amos reveals the sweep of a sovereign God's judgment. Amos reveals the sweep of a sovereign God's judgment. We're going to see this as Amos whirlpools around the nations of Judah, specifically the nation of Israel, in regard to the different oracles or pronouncements of judgment that are going to be coming to the nations before he finally and fully turns his attention to the nation of Israel. So Amos is going to reveal, first off, the sweep of a sovereign God's judgment. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text, okay? Father, we pray asking that you would turn your words, that you led this prophet to speak and to write, pierce our hearts this morning. God, help us in these things. We need you more than we could ever possibly dare, hope for, or imagine. Holy Spirit, make my words pierce our hearts. Make my words pierce our minds so that when all is said and done, we could say we have heard God speak to us today, our lives have been changed today, and we now leave going out into the world as men and women who have met and had an encounter with our living God. 
Spirit of the living God, speak and move and empower today for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. Well, last week, Amos informed us that the Lion of Judah, he is neither time tame nor is he a toothless lion. Quite the opposite, he is the Lord who roars from Zion. One of the consistent failures of humanity is that nations and individuals often seek to domesticate God by creating an image of God in their minds, and they do this so that they can suit their own purposes. But Amos was called to proclaim, that's what he was called to do, Amos was called to proclaim, this is the folly of sin-dead hearts that will result in the judgment of God, unless the lion's roar awakens men and women to true heartfelt repentance. And as Amos begins to speak in our text, what you hear, so to speak, is that roaring of the lion that we heard from last week in verse 2, that lion's roar is beginning, and it begins with a ferocious roar against the surrounding nations that surround the kingdom of Israel. Now, when you get into the actual text before you, the text that's there open in front of you, what you'll begin to notice is that each oracle that Amos delivers against the surrounding nations, they begin and they end with the affirmation that this is the word of the Lord. When Amos speaks, his words are not words of social or political commentary because Amos has some axe to grind against the nations. Rather, the words of his sermon, these opening words, these opening oracles that he is pronouncing against the nations, they are the Lord's word. They are divine commentary from the Lion of Judah, commentary that is revealing the reality of what is actually happening as these nations go about business as normal, business as normal that is actually against Yahweh. Now, nations and leaders and individuals, what they do is they often assume that God does not care what they do because they do not care about God. But that is a misinformed reality a misinformed reality that Amos is about to disabuse them of because what they need to know, these nations, and what we need to know as individuals who comprise our nation, what we need to know is that God deeply cares about what we do as the nations surrounding Israel were soon to find out and as we are going to find out as we seek to apply this text this morning. Now, as you also look at these opening oracles, not only do you see where Amos says, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, he says that multiple times over, but the pattern that he delivers to these nations where he says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of, insert nation, and then says, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because, and then he delineates the sins that have amassed against this nation. What you're going to find out is that there is this comprehensive nature to the kind of pronouncements that Amos is making concerning the nations that he is addressing. 
and you see the comprehensive nature of the sins that have amassed with these particular nations when he says that phrase, for three transgressions and for four. Some people suggest that when Yahweh speaks of three and four sins, when Amos comes and says, this is what has amassed against you according to the Lord, that he does so to drive at the comprehensive nature of each nation's sin. Because when you take that number three and add it to the number four, you get that number seven. And in Hebrew thought, the number seven is that idea of completeness. It's that comprehensive understanding. So when Amos comes along and says, guys, for three transgressions and for four, this is the sin that has amassed against you. It's the sense that Amos is saying on behalf of Yahweh, guys, you're sin is comprehensive. It is complete. The measure of your sin has been filled up. Now, whether that three plus four, that seven idea of comprehensiveness is true or not, what is true is that the people Amos was addressing, they are a people who are completely wicked in their behavior towards others as we are soon to see. The idea behind that word transgressions, when he says for three transgressions and for four, the idea behind that word is the willful, deliberate intent of these nations to commit over and over and over again the sins of which are being laid at their doorstep. You see, the whole life of these nations had become corrupt, and they had become corrupt decidedly. They were making these decisions to do over and over again, knowing that what they were doing was not what ought to be done. Therefore, the Lord God says, I will not revoke the punishment. In declaring the certainty of judgment to come, these passages reveal at least two key truths about our living God. The first truth is that God's patience can run out. God's patience can run out. While God's default response is not wrath, but mercy and grace, what we learn from the scriptures is that there can and does come a point in time where enough is enough, even with God. Listen, God is patient with sinners. God is patient with sinners. <clears throat> but if nations or individuals presume on the riches of God's patience because of their hard and impenitent hearts, then they are storing up wrath for themselves. And Amos, in his opening sermon, at the very beginning of his book, he's going to drive this truth home. The second thing we see on the front end and that we just need to, to identify is not only is the truth that God's patience can run out, the other truth that we learn is this, is that all nations are held accountable to Yahweh. All nations. It's not just the nation of Judah. It's not just the nation of Israel. It is all nations that are held accountable to our living God, Yahweh himself. You see, whether it is pagan nations like North Korea in our day, or nations built upon biblical principles such as the nation in which you and I live, Amos reminds us that God will not be mocked. 
No nation falls beyond the scope of Yahweh's holy standard. God is sovereign over all nations, and he is the judge of all nations that deliberately and willfully break his law. Now, as we turn to the actual oracles that Amos pronounced on the surrounding nations of Israel and Judah, what you need to know is that Amos, man, he's a brilliant preacher. He's an absolutely brilliant preacher. And in order to garner the ear of the nation of Israel, which he's eventually going to turn to in Amos chapter 2 verse 6, and he's going to continue to talk to the nation of Israel all the way through the remainder of his book before he gets there and he starts addressing the sins of the nation of Israel, he's going to garner the attention of their ear by first addressing the nations that circle and surround Israel. And as he begins to do this, the first thing we can see, the first thing that we can learn as he begins by circling the nations of Israel is that God cares about our actions. God cares about our actions. This is what you see in chapter 1, verse 3 all the way down to chapter 1, verse 10. I'm going to break up these six oracles into two points, and that's the first point. God cares about our actions. Listen, Amos begins this series of six oracles by first turning his attention to the nation of Syria, specifically to the capital city of the nation of, Assyri of Syria, the city of Damascus, and when he first addresses the city of Damascus, we learn in verses 3 through 5 that God cares about the inhumane actions of a nation. God cares about the inhumane actions of a nation. In verse 3, Amos tells us that Damascus was excessively cruel against its neighbor Gilead. The idea behind the phrase, they have threshed Gilead, with threshing sledges of iron, is that Syria was known for mutilating their defeated enemies. That idea of threshed, it's a farming term that some of us, I'm sure, are, are familiar with. It's a term that describes the process of a farmer separating seed from the stalk. The process involved an animal that would walk back and forth over the grain that was on the ground, and that animal would, would draw back and forth behind it this big, heavy wooden sledge that had these sharp iron prongs pr poking down on the underneath side of the sledge. And as that animal walked back and forth, it was those sharp iron-like prongs that would thresh the grain, separating the grain from the chaff so that the way the, the good could come from the bad. And so when Amos says that uh, Damascus threshed Gilead with th threshing sledges of iron, what Amos is saying is that this is what Damascus would do to its prisoners of war. They would lay their captives down on the field of battle, and then they would run over their defeated foes, these threshing machines, treating these people with inhumane actions. You see, the sin of Damascus was that they treated people as things. They treated people as things. They had no value. They devalued human life. And therefore, 
the kings of Damascus had no problem employing inhumane actions against their enemies. But as Amos would pronounce, anyone who treats people as things of no value, they will not escape God's judgment. God will judge the inhumane actions of a nation. Then, starting in verses 6 through 8, we see Amos turn his attention to the nation of, or to the city of Gaza. And there what we learn is that Amos tells us that God cares when a nation treats people as objects to be exploited. God cares when a nation treats people as objects to be exploited. You see, if Damascus was guilty of treating people as objects with no value, then Gaza was guilty of treating people as objects to be exploited for their value. In verse 6, Gaza was guilty of deporting whole communities to Edom for unjust gain. In other words, the people of Gaza, the Philistines, they were guilty of an economy that was built upon slave trading. Human trafficking was the name, money was the game. The sin of Gaza was they treated people made in the image of God as just mere commodities, mere commodities that could just be used and traded and dealt with however they pleased because much like Damascus, the people of Gaza, the Philistines, saw no value to human beings. And because they saw no value to human beings, they could just treat them as things to make more money for them. You see, if the subjugation of a people could earn the people of Gaza some cash, then they were happy to line their pockets at the cost of a fellow human being. And if we think this thing through, if we think through the oracle of judgment against the nation of the Philistines, against the city of Gaza in particular, it's not hard to see the connection between the actions of Gaza and the actions of the slave traders of early America who went to Africa, who captured entire villages and enslaved them, bringing them back to America all so they could sell them for a profit. In calling this out, Amos makes it clear that God will not allow such actions to go unpunished. He will not do so. God will judge a nation that disregards the dignity of human life by selling them as commodities for a profit. Then third, the third oracle that Amos gives us, you see there in verses 9 and 10, Amos turns to Tyre, to the nation of the Phoenicians, specifically the city of Tyre. And there in verses 9 and 10, Amos shows us that God cares when a nation breaks their word for profit. God cares when nations make promises and then break those promises, especially in order to benefit themselves and make a profit. You see, in verse 9, we read that the city of Tyre was not only guilty of the same sin as Gaza, guilty of deporting people as well, but they were also guilty of breaking their promises. Amos says that they too delivered up a whole people to Edom. 
they also were in the business of treating people as objects for personal gain. But notice their debauchery was intensified by their treachery because the very people that Tyre was selling into slavery were people that at one time were their friends. The people they were enslaving for a profit used to be part of, says Amos, a covenant of brotherhood. They had entered into a promise. At one point in time, Tyre said, we're making this promise to you. That's our end of the covenant. The other end of the covenant was that nation came back and said, and we make this promise to you. But eventually, the temptation of actually making money off the people that they were in a covenant with led them to break the promise that they made to this nation led them to break their covenant of brotherhood all so that they could turn an extra dollar. So the people of Tyre were traitors. What they were doing was they were promise breakers. They were going back on their word and Yahweh was going to hold them responsible for being covenant breakers, promise breakers, not word keepers. God, we learn, will judge a nation even for the promises they make and then break. So that's the first three oracles. God cares about the actions we take as individuals and the actions we take as a nation. So with these first three oracles, that's what we see. But notice that Amos has three more or oracles concerning the nation surrounding Israel. And as Amos continues, he shows us our second point, that God also cares about our motivations. So does God care about our actions? Yes. And he's going to continue to care about the actions of the other nations that we're going to learn about in these last three articles. But Amos seems to dig just a little bit deeper beyond just the mere actions of a nation with these last three or oracles. He seems to dig deeper into the very motivations and the very heart attitudes that would drive the actions of these nations. You're going to see language like him addressing the anger of a nation, the greed, the, the arrogance, and the pride that would lead a nation to certain cruel actions against fellow human beings. So when you go into the fourth oracle then, starting in verse 11, Amos turns to the nation of Edom. And when he turns to the nation of Edom, guess what he shows us? He shows us that God cares when a nation is driven by anger. God cares when a nation is driven by anger. That's what you find in verses 11 and 12. And what compounded Edom's sin is that their determined and their unforgiving anger was against his brother. Right? So you see that in verse 11, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Why? Because he pursued his brother with the sword. He cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. So God cares when a nation is driven by anger and he especially cares when that nation that's driven by anger has this determined and unforgiving anger against someone whom Amos said was your brother. The idea here goes back to the relationship between the two brothers of Jacob and Esau that you find back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, what you learn is that Esau, one part of the brothers, he eventually became the father 
of the nation of Edom, making the Israelites who came from Jacob their relatives. So just as Jacob and Esau were brothers, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, what you find is this language of Edom in Israel being referred to as brothers, being referred to as relatives. Yet, says Amos, even though that brotherly connection was there and there should have been some sort of brotherly affection, Edom showed no mercy towards their brother, towards their relatives, and they were unrelenting in their anger, pursued their brother with the sword. They cast off all pity. It's very vivid language there. It's almost as if the hatred of the Edomites continued to fuel itself until it was totally out of control. This relentless, unforgiving anger seized them. The sin of Edom was that they were driven by an attitude of anger that tore perpetually, kept wrath forever, and it wound up leading to the destruction of someone for whom they ought to have had affection. And for this, God will bring judgment upon Edom. God will judge the motivations of a nation's actions that are driven by anger. Fifthly, turning to the Ammonites, Amos reveals that God cares when a nation's policies are driven by greed. God cares when a nation's policies are driven by greed. You see this in verses 13 through 15, the remaining verses in chapter 1. What you learn when you go and look at a map of the nations surrounding Judah and Israel is that the Ammonites lived in a very cramped area to the east of Israel, which drove their desire to expand their territory whenever an opportunity presented itself. And apparently they were so greedy for gain that they were prepared to do whatever it took. They were prepared to do anything in order to achieve what they wanted. So when you go into verse 13, what you read is that the sin of Ammon was their greed. Greed which led them to justify the policy of ripping open pregnant women in Gilead. You see that there in verse 13. For three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Why? Because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead so that they might enlarge their border. And it was this policy of greed-driven murder that was to result in God's judgment upon the Ammonites. Brothers and sisters, here again, it's just not too hard to see the modern-day equivalent of Ammon's sin in the abortion clinics that dot our nation today. Established across America is a policy that allows for wombs to be invaded and pre-born babies to be ripped out. Planned Parenthood is America's abortion giant, pulling in billions of dollars a year fueled by the same Ammonite greed for unjust gain. And to assume that America's greed-driven policy of murder 
is going to somehow avoid the fate of the Ammonites, this is a fool's errand if we believe that to be true. You see, Amos speaks to us from the 8th century B.C., and he disabuses us of any false notion that somehow America will avoid the fate of Ammon. God will judge a nation for policies driven by greed. And then lastly, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Amos turns to the nation of Moab, and he shows us that God cares about the small things. God cares about the small things. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, that the Lord's chief complaint against Moab was that they desecrated the bodies of their enemies. They desecrated the bodies of their enemies. Amos says they burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom instead of giving a decent burial. Now, you read that one. And in light of all of the other um, sins that have filled up their measure in the eyes of the Lord, you're like, really? Like that? That just seems so small. The burning the bones of someone who is already dead, that just seems so, so small compared to everything else. Something that you would think God just really would not care about. But notice that the sin of Moab was that they were known as a nation driven by arrogance. They were known as a nation driven by pride, by defiance of God. You learn that all throughout the other prophets. And when these heart attitudes grip a nation, the heart attitudes of arrogance and prideful defiance of God, when that kind of attitude sort of grips a nation, what it does is it leads the individuals of that nation to believe they can do whatever they want to do and ultimately get away with it. After all, they might argue, does God really care about the small things? Does he really care about the small things? Does he really care if I just cheat a little bit on my taxes? Does he care if I'm just a little bit dishonest with my spouse? Does he care if I just fudge a little bit with my employer on the, the time I put down and the actual work that I give him? Does he care what I do with my body? Does he care what I watch as entertainment? Does he care about how much I eat, how much I drink? We assume surely God does not care about things so small. And thus we act according to our own standards. But Amos says it is an arrogant pride that leads us to answer, no, God does not care about the small things in my life. And the individuals of a nation who operate with an arrogant, prideful defiance, this will lead to the eventual judgment of God, not only upon those individuals, but collectively as a nation. You see, God will judge a nation for the seemingly inconsequential actions that defy his holy and perfect standards. So friends, do you see? When you step back from these six oracles, do you see what Amos was calling to account as he reveals the sweep of the sovereign God who will judge with justice and righteousness. 
These nations had committed terrible atrocities. And when we stitch these oracles of judgment together, what we realize is that the sins of these ancient nations, they have a very contemporary ring to them. From Damascus, we learn that people made in the image of God must never be treated as things. Think of how this singular truth speaks to the issues of child pornography. Think of how people made in the image of God being treated as things speaks to the abuse of men and women and how it speaks to the industry of prostitution in our country. From Gaza, we learn that God has something to say about using people for profit. God has something. God is very much in tune and has very much care. When someone says, I'm going to treat a person as a thing and use that person for my personal gain. You see, when we bring this truth forward to our day, that God has something to say about using people for profit, when we bring this truth forward to our day, this mean God means God has something to say concerning something like the plague of sex trafficking that runs rampant across the nations and in our nation. The epidemic of women and children who are sold into sexual slavery to satisfy the sexual appetites of another is no slight thing to Yahweh. The lion roars concerning these things. From the oracle against Tyre, we learn that faithfulness to a promise matters to God. Faithfulness to a promise matters to God. Whether it's diplomats on a global scale, whether it's politicians in our national context, it matters to God when men and women in civil service consistently make promises they know they will not keep. In a day when Republicans and Democrats promise so much and then deliver so little, the words of Amos remind us that the Lion of Judah does not take these matters lightly. From Edom, we learn that unrestrained hatred is unacceptable to God. Unrestrained hatred, God has nothing to do with it. He will not accept this. So just think of how easily this truth learned from the nation of Edom just pulls forward to today because of, because of this. Think of how easily we let relational roots of, of bitterness take hold in our hearts. Somebody burns us relationally, so we spend hours on our bed thinking, hours con our minds consumed plotting our revenge, and we nurture our hurt until it becomes an uncontrolled inferno that winds up destroying life and relationship. From the Ammonites, we learn that nothing moves God to punish so much as the wanton cruelty to the helpless. I was really helped by thinking that one through from a preacher named Alistair Begg. Nothing moves God to punish so much as the wanton cruelty to the helpless. Again, if this does not have something to say to the culture of death that is championed in our country, then brothers and sisters, friends, I just don't know what else does. Lastly, from Moab, we learn that God has something to say about the cruel vengeance of human behavior in life 
and in death. Friends, this is the message of Amos to the nations right here at the very beginning of, of his preaching. And since this is the message of Amos to the nations, what we can also see is how it comes forward and it is the message of Amos to our nation. Men and nations are filling up the measure of sin one at a time, day after day, and year after year. The question is, what are we, what are you going to do now that sin has been exposed? You see, either we will know Christ as Savior as we believe on Him to be saved, or we will remain in our sin and we will know Christ as our judge. My plea is that you will respond to Christ as Savior and be saved. May God help us as we have heard His word May God help us apply these words to our day as we walk humbly with our God in repentance and faith in Him. Brothers and sisters, I love you. May this Lord's Day be the day in which you are walking out of here, whether you're here at church on Sunday morning or whether you are at home listening to this. May this be a day where God, by the power of the Spirit, changes you drastically, changes you dramatically as a result of hearing the Word of God proclaimed. I love you guys. We'll see you soon.